Jeff, once again, coming at you, and, well, you asked for it because you started listening to the podcast. (laughs) So, whatever happens, it's on you. Anyway, thanks for being in here. So, short podcast, honestly, not a lot to say, just something that came to mind, but kind of like Ray Otis said recently, he needed to get back into the habit of it uh, and start posting things again, and fact that well we'll just go ahead and blame uh joe from hindsightless because you know he keeps encouraging me to put stuff out he enjoys hearing this so joe this one's for you and maybe more of them be for you i don't know hey whichever so thanks for the encouragement and let's go ahead and get into this i'm not going to even pause i do have one call in that we'll do at the end i'm thinking i'm liking this doing it that way So I'll address that one later, but let's just go ahead and get to the meat of it here. And if you're looking at the title, yeah, might be a little contentious, but this is coming from the fact that I was reading The Hobbit to the Minions, the younger Minions, and I came across a passage in chapter 12 of The Hobbit that I don't remember reading before. Well, actually, I know I read it, but I never comprehended it. And in the bulk of our role-playing nowadays, I think a lot more of this is more readily to mind for me. So let me read this paragraph, chapter 12 of The Hobbit, the uh, inside information. This is right after... The dwarves and Mr. Baggins now get inside of the door. And if I remember correctly, uh, yeah, this is right after the door had opened for the first time. So, let's see. The most that can be said for the dwarves is this. They intended to pay Bilbo really handsomely for his services. They had brought him to do a nasty job for them, and they did not mind the poor little fellow doing it if he would. But they would all have done their best to get him out of trouble if he got into it, as they did in the case of the trolls at the beginning of their adventures before they had any particular reasons to be grateful to him. There it is. Dwarves are not heroes but calculating folk with a great idea of the value of money. Some are tricky and treacherous and petty bad lots. Some are not, but are decent enough people like Thorne and company if you don't expect too much. So why do I bring that up? You know, The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings trilogy are probably, and I'll say this and somebody can correct me if they wish, but many ways, I think, are looked at as the quintessential view of how fantasy should look at elves 
as dwarves and, and the hobbits, you know, on the adventurer side, the hero side. But that passage right there kind of lends itself to something different. That passage says that, yes, while they might be adventurers, while they might be adventurers, they're not, they're still out for themselves. You know, they, they, there's only so much they would be willing to do. You know, they're not like the parties that we create in our campaigns of these groups of individuals of different uh, backgrounds, since we don't want to use the term races anymore, even though that's how it is done, but the different you know, lines of peopleage that humanoids that you grew up from. You know, more and more of them, you know, they'll do things, but they're only some of them are a good lot, but a lot of them are not. And I think many ways we have over romanticized and the movies probably have not helped matters much. Maybe we should go back to a little bit grittier playing. You know, you want real role playing? Dwarves are only going to go so far. They're out for the money and the gems, and they're going to be greedy about it. Because if you go later on, after the after Smog had gone and had been slain, unknown to the dwarves and Bilbo, but later on they start looking at the treasure that's everywhere. And I haven't found the passage yet, and actually I'll think I'll pause for a second to get to the passage. So as we get into chapter 13, now we see in another passage here further in, right after Bilbo has dropped a torch and yelling help and everything, and they finally uh, help him out asking what had happened. Only a bat and a dropped torch, nothing worse, he said in answer to their questions. Though they were much relieved, they were inclined to be grumpy at being frightened for nothing. But what they would have said, if he had told them at that moment about the Arkenstone, I don't know. The mere fleeting glimpses of treasure which they had caught as they went along had rekindled all the fire of their dwarvish hearts. And when the heart of a dwarf, even the most respectable, is wakened by gold and by jewels, he suddenly grows bold. Pardon me. He grows suddenly bold, and he may become fierce. So I'm going to say that in many ways, we're playing elves and dwarves wrong. We're making them into these big bad heroes, and maybe that's just that one out of a thousand. Maybe it's more than that. But I, I say we need to go back and look at all of the different games we're playing. Go back and look at the descriptions of these different beings and let's make sure that we're portraying them right 
don't know. I think it's just me coming across that in my head after I read that and dwelled on it for some time. But it makes sense. We do see in several different RPGs out there where dwarves have a lust for gold and for gems. They should be rather greedy about it. They should, and if we go want to go by what the books that we revere at times say, eh, maybe they should be more willing to let somebody else do all the risk instead of themselves. Who knows? I'm just babbling. Let's go ahead and get on to the uh, call. Hey, my friend Jason here. I appreciate the effort you put into last episode. Appreciate the effort Minion Bravo and other Minions put into getting that data. But I think it's kind of a myopic view that you're taking. So you're looking at the cardiovascular part, but let's think of everything else when you're exploring a dungeon. Yes, maybe you can physically move that fast, but we're talking about processing information, and we're talking about doing it by torchlight more often than not. If not torchlight, then you're using infravision or dark vision or whatever silly vision they have now. So, you know, think about looking like night through night vision goggles or something, right? So either that or torchlight, which we, we you've talked before about how horrible torchlight is, and trying to map by torchlight, looking crevices by torchlight. So I think when you open your vision up to beyond straight the cardiovascular part, I think we see that it, things would be a lot slower. Thanks for calling that in, Jason. I don't know if I want to say myopic there, but I do agree, yes, we were not in uh, dungeon, we're not in darkness, we're not running around with a torch and everything. I was just trying to get a feel for a baseline there with you know, holding on that pack and running. And that, that was where we we're going. It's sort of the escape mechanism that's built into the, the rules. But I still maintain that taking 10 minutes to go 90 feet just looks slow to me. When you are walking it out, and you might have to be mapping. But here's my question. How often are you stopping to map? Are you going 10 foot and then scritch, scritch, go another 10 foot, scritch, scritch, go another 10 foot, scritch, scritch? How long does it take you to map something over the torchlight and everything? So, you know, I just, it still seems that, you know, if you're talking 60 feet, 90 feet in 10 minutes, even mapping and being careful in a dungeon, I, it, just, it just seems a bit slow. Maybe I've got to do some more of this. Uh, wait till I can find a night that is going to be overcast and we have a state park that I can go run off to and well enough away from most lights and everything that I could probably light a torch and at least having in darkness and when it's overcast should help make it fairly dark and there's some woods that we can go to and kind of get an idea of how far you really can see in the dark and how effective it is because that's my other 
question, how effective is the range on that torch? And I think that's what we all want to know. And there's probably some YouTube video out there on it anyway already, I guess. But it'd be very interesting to, you know, let's, let's try to figure out a torch and see exactly how far does it really cast. And what is effective view or not. I guess that's really the, the part that I want to get out there. Anyway, thanks for calling in. Appreciate it. Now, that's it. Just wanted to throw something out there really quick. Probably wasn't formed well enough in my mind. And I'm sure that I'll hear something from at least one person out there on what I said. Maybe you can help correct my mind. Maybe I'll help you. Who knows? But we'll see you later out there gaming. We'll see you later on the Discord servers. Have fun. Roll the dice. And don't be a stranger. Or don't be any stranger than me. That's probably a better way to say that.